the strange and lovely sound I hear it in the thunder and the rain it's ringing in the skies like cannons in the night the music of the universe somebody hug a neck shake a hand tell them good morning before creation breathed its first breath and all there was to be was not yet you were seated there on your throne high and glorious God alone you're the one I worship and adore
everybody. You can be seated if you haven't already. Good to see you today at the uh, pregame uh, church service. That's right. Or the postgame. If you're a Houston fan, my condolences. They, you know what? The defense look good. Look good. You just can't win on defense no matter what Anna says. You got to score sometimes. So uh, we've had this debate at home. She heard once defense wins and We've been having this debate, but um, I'll win. Anyway, good to see you here this morning. Uh, thanks for being with us. Uh, Chad, what are you doing this afternoon? Oh, no, then just going to the Cowboys game. So, uh, yeah, he's going to the Cowboys game, so here's what's going to happen. <laughs> no, he's going to the Cowboys game as soon as he's done leading worship. Don't I'm a, clap I'm for that. Tad bit, His I'm lack a tad of commitment giddy. is overwhelming. A tad bit giddy, just a little. Huh? I'm a little giddy. You're a little giddy, like, yeah. a, like a schoolgirl. So yes. what we're going to... We're going to talk really slow. Now this is going to be really long. In fact, I think I'm going to preach now, and we'll worship after. Hey, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Anyway, we're glad you're here this morning. If you're visiting with us, thanks for being here. Uh, this, is, uh, this is God's family. We're God's kids. We gather together every week to worship our dad, uh, to learn a little bit more of him, and we're, we're glad you're here. If you're watching on the Internet, thanks for being with us. Our, our hope and our prayer is that you're encouraged with your time. We are in a series right now called uh, It's Personal, Not Business. And uh, we are, it started in 1 Thessalonians. Now we're in 1 and 2 Timothy, and then we'll go back and finish Thessalonians. But it's a discussion on why God invented the church. What's the purpose? Why do we gather? How did God structure the church? So that's where we're at this morning. And uh, if you are uh, visiting with us, we're glad you're here. You'll want to have a Bible and join with us. We'll be in 1 Timothy 3. Uh, or if you're in the room, it'll be on the screen. Uh, but uh, glad to have you here with us. If you would take your worship guides and open them up, I have a few things I want to highlight before we take our offering this morning. Uh, one thing about our offering is uh, this is uh, for those who attend here regularly. Uh, it goes towards supporting the ministries here of Carpenter's Way as well as a uh, cooperative program through the Southern Baptist Convention. That represents about 9,000 missionaries uh, all across the globe that are evangelizing and planting churches here in the States and elsewhere. And then on top of that, Carpenter's Way is, uh, it supports about 14 private mission agencies or missionaries and uh, that we are involved with personally. So that's where our offerings go. If you are not part of our family, if you don't come here regularly, just pass the plate as it comes by. We don't want you distracted by money. We're just glad to have you here. And our hope for you 
As much as we want you to like us is that you fall in love with Jesus Christ. But we're awfully glad to have you with us this morning in this room and, and on the Internet. And, and our hope and prayer, like I said, is that you fall in love with the Lord. Having said that, we have some important announcements, Carpenter's Way folks, folks that I want to I mention to you. Number one, we have our women's Bible studies kicking off again uh, very soon. Uh, there's going to be one on Tuesday morning at 930 at Beverly Kent's house. She'll be leading that. Uh, <clears throat> Julie is going to lead one on um, Sunday afternoons at 5. That information is in your worship guide. We've added another one. Heather is going to be leading one on Wednesday nights during the same time as our adult Bible study and, and student children ministries. So uh, if that works for you and you have kids, there'll be child care for that one as well. Uh, you can sign up for those at the women's table out there, and it has all three times. And uh, we, ladies, we'd love for you to be involved. I want to remind men that we have our weekly Bible study is every Tuesday morning from 6.30 to around 7 or 7.10. Uh, we don't have breakfast, we just drink coffee and we study the Word together. Uh, Daryl Douglas is leading us right now through uh, a walk. We're walking through the book of Mark, and uh, we've been in chapter 7 for like 18 weeks. It's been a wonderful time. We're learning a lot. We just kind of dialogue through it. It's not a lecture, and uh, it's a chance for us to get into the Word together. So I encourage you, men and women, to be involved in those uh, smaller Bible studies, to get to know folks, but uh, even more importantly, to get to know the Lord. So uh, keep that in mind as you plan your schedules. Uh, there's a meeting this morning for those who may be interested in going to Guatemala. We, as you see in there, there is uh, uh, that's it's going to be at 4 p.m. Uh, down in the overflow room, and uh, I think there are five open places for the Guatemala trip. When is that, Jeremy? So July 30th through August the 6th, uh, by coming today, you're just getting information, how much it costs, what's going to happen, how you prepare for the trip, how do you come up with the money and all that excitement. So that's at 4 o'clock today, uh, right after the kickoff. So um, he's actually bringing, what did you say? I'm not a Cowboys fan. He's not a Cowboys fan. That's going to help. That's going to help. So... Uh, uh, in, in any case, that's, that's today, and uh, if you can't uh, make the meeting because you have other super important things going on, like secular football, uh, <laughs> no shame. We have obviously preached too much grace here. We're going to be having a prayer meeting today at 345. <laughs> I think my, my pastor as a kid used to do that. We're going to be praying. Would you rather watch football or pray? Yeah. Now you know why I preach grace. <laughs> I'm going to ask our ushers to come forward at this time. Um, oh, our next uh, Carpenter's Way 101 class, membership class, is going to be taking place Sunday, March 5th. That's in the worship guide. Um, and as the guys are coming to take our offering, let, let me point one more thing out, and that is that every week in the worship guide, you get an insert that's our prayer guide. Uh, this, uh, this is... Updated every week. Dolores takes care of that for us. But please take these and pray for the folks on there. Uh, I want to mention, though, the problem with the old, I mean, with technology, we can keep this updated much quicker. And I want to encourage you to be using the app. Uh, Carpenter's Way has our own app that, uh, um, and it's both in the uh, Apple, uh, the Mac pro profile, as well as um, Android uh, on both. And you can get it in the store. It's free. But uh, I would encourage you to download that and then apply to register, and then you'll be updated with prayer things as they come up during the week so you can be praying for each other. I also want to mention just on a side, we, uh, we certainly want you to call the office and let us know what you want to pray for. But if you put it on the app, everybody on the app gets it, and then you hear from them. Uh, if Dolores puts it on for you, what happens is every time you click, I'm praying for you, Dolores finds out you're praying for somebody else. 
So uh, I, know, I know that's a weird swap for you, but make sure you're using that. That's what it's for. I mean, it's, it's to let each other, especially like uh, emergencies, you know, going to the hospital, please pray for me or pray for my aunt or, or pray for the Dallas Cowboys. We're halfway through and they're down by 48. I mean, it's just, I mean, I'm just using examples. That's not going to happen. I thought we were friends. <laughs> we, we, are, we are friends. I'm a fan. Pam told me, who is just about equal to anybody who ever loved the Dallas Cowboys, told me that if I ever suggest they're going to win again, she will shoot me because it's, I'm always wrong. So today they're going to lose bad and uh, all that. I think that's all the announcements I have for today. Let's, uh, let's pray. I, I need to get off here before you run out. So Lord Jesus, thank you that we can gather as a family, and this is our living room and that we can worship you and laugh with each other and enjoy our time together. Father, it's our prayer that you will be glorified today. It's our prayer that we would get to know you better. Lord, I pray uh, for uh, our church family, uh, those who are not with us this morning because of sickness or travel. We pray you'd bless them and keep them safe. I think of the Jacksons as they're loading up to come back and uh, to move here. We pray you give them safety as they wrap up the sale of their house in Mississippi. And Father, uh, we thank you for the Newsoms that have been married 23 years today. We pray you'd bless their marriage. Uh, Lord, uh, there are folks in our church that are hurting, people with illnesses and, and those who are having financial trouble. I pray you'd wrap your arms around them and encourage them. And Lord, we just, we just thank you for this morning. Uh, we pray that our worship would be lively, our hearts would be lifted, and we would, we would uh, walk closer with you and know you better having gathered together today. In Jesus' name, amen. a sinner, now I'm clean. Once condemned, now I'm made free. He turned my darkness into light, and now I see. Once in ashes, there's beauty. Once in pieces I'm complete And my Redeemer now resides He lives in me
Everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have discarded everything else, counted it all as garbage, so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith.
pray together? Let's, uh, let's just ask the Lord. Before the kids go, don't leave just yet. Let's pray. Lord, there's so much noise out in the world. Uh, it seems like it's getting worse. So much hate. So much confusion. Father, uh, our world is in crisis and in chaos because they don't know you. Lord, thank you that we as your children can rest in your salvation. We can rest in what you have done and continue to do. Thank you, Father, that we can be a people free of deep worry because we know the one who holds the keys of tomorrow. We do love you. And I pray this morning, Lord, for this, this message, for what's going to happen in the children's area. I pray, Lord Jesus, that we would see the truth that we are taught from your word as the exception to the rule of this world, that we would understand that we are the aliens and strangers, and as the world is flooded with chaos and fear, we can have peace with you and remind each other of that. Thank you for church. Thank you for this gathering. Thank you for the people that are here this morning. We pray you'd bless us for having come. In Jesus' name, amen. Kids have GPS this morning, right, Alicia? So uh, kids, we'll dismiss you through third grade this morning for GPS. If you're visiting with us or have been and you'd like to see what they do, you're actually welcome to stay and check it out. Uh, you need to get to know the people that minister to your kids and, uh, or you're welcome to stay in here. We're, we're glad you're here. Um, I, wanna, uh, I, I wanna start by taking you to the very beginning of this book for just a second. This book, the Word of God, begins with these words. In the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. So you have this big blob of nothingness that God speaks order into. There's so much we can learn from these three verses, and we do but the foundation upon which all of those truths that we learn from these verses rest is that the creator God brings order from chaos. And he does that for our well-being and our benefit. Without his order, there'd be no oxygen or food. Actually, there'd be nowhere to stand. We would be also hovering if God chose to create us and sustain us out there in a blob of nothingness. That is the foremost character of your daddy. Creator, creator of, of, of order. And what was man's response to the order he created? Through her, his and her rebellion, through simple disobedience, he takes the order that God created and invites chaos with his disobedience and is cast out of the garden. And what does God do? Once again, he creates order by setting up a sacrificial system that would cover their sin until God, once for all, would remove sin and its consequences for those who would believe in him. But Cain rejects God's order. He rejects the simple sacrifice that God wanted him to offer, and he does his own thing, and what happens? Chaos ensues in his life. So God moves on, and he actually creates order through Noah's Ark. God creates order inside of this big boat to start it all over and recreate order when chaos had reigned. And for about a year, eight people in the boat live and exist and complain. <laughs> and they get off the boat and they start sinning against God. And chaos reigns. So what does God do? He creates order through a nation. 
He brings the nation of Israel together. He says, these are going to be my chosen people. He chooses a guy that's not a Jew, just a guy named Abram. And he says, I'm going to make you a great nation. And I'm going to bless the nations of the world through you. I'm going to, I, I am, it is going to be through your children and their children and their children that I'm going to introduce myself to mankind, eventually be born into humanity. And I'm going to not just atone for sin, I'm going to remove sin. And what was Abraham and his children's response? Rebellion. Even after he delivers them from Egypt, it doesn't take three days for them to start rebelling again. Rebellion. And chaos reigns. Reigns in the nation of Israel. It reigns in the world. And so what does God do? God says, that's enough. When Daniel cries out, we have made a mess of our lives, we've made a mess of our nation, Daniel cries out to God, and God says, don't worry about it, Daniel, I've got this all worked out. Now I'm gonna send a Messiah for all mankind. And instead of trying to bring order through a nation, I'm gonna bring order through a relationship with me. So he sends his son to bring order. To bring order to our lives. In a world of chaos, he offers us forgiveness from the thing that destroys everything, sin. And what does man do? They don't want his spiritual order. They want him to provide food and medical care, and they want him to provide all the other stuff. And you know, we've got enough of the, we've got atonement in, through, through Judaism. We don't really need Jesus that. He should add to it, but that's not why he came. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and life. Nobody comes to the Father but through me. And for those that accepted him, there was order. For those that don't worship him as Lord, for those that don't bow the knee, we have Romans 1, and it tells us what happens. I encourage you to read Romans 1 because it's way out of context talked about today. But Romans 1 explains how the world got to where it is, whether it be through rebellion against parents or, or uh, selfishness or jealousy or murder or homosexuality. It's because people refuse to worship God as Lord of their life and chaos reigns. I wanna remind you that every time you hear a preacher tell you that God's judgment is going to come upon the earth, if you go back and you read Romans 1, you realize that the judgment is already here. That's right, America isn't what she was. That's not the judgment. The judgment is depravity. The judgment is people thinking they're wise when they're not wise. I, it doesn't matter what part of the political landscape you find yourself this year. There's so much hate in this culture. It's chaos. It's chaos if you're a Christian that's a Democrat. How could anybody elect that guy? And it's chaos if you're a Republican. How come they're not respecting our vote? It's chaos. And people hate each other. They're not talking to each other. They're talking over each other. And even some of you on Facebook, we have Christians at war with each other. Why? Because some of you didn't get the president you wanted and others of you got the president you wanted and everybody's throwing rocks at each other and chaos has ensued in our culture and in our world. And if you think this is an American problem, you haven't been watching what's going on in Britain. You wanna hear the crazy side of this to get political and then we'll move back to the text? You wanna know how crazy it is, is next week, thousands of people all across the world are gonna gather and they're gonna to get together and they're gonna talk about a free, a, a uh, borderless world where trade is even and guess who's gonna be the keynote speaker at it? Communist China. It's insane. It's chaos. But that's the way of the world. Instead of throwing rocks at people, I, I think one of the mistakes we make in the church, and I've been a part of this as well, but I think some of the mistakes is we yell at the world and we go, you need to be moral. And their question is, why? There's no answer for that if you're, if you're not a child of God. Why should you be moral if you're not God's kid? Who's to say what morality is if you're not God's kid? You see, we keep trying to get the world to act like they're, they have peace and act like they're saved when they're not. You see, the truth is that this is our safe place. 
You see, after man rejected Jesus Christ, God created something for our benefit. Much like the Garden of Eden, God created a place where we could gather together as God's kids and be safe. It's called the church. It's a lot like Noah's Ark. We gather together, and this is supposed to, was supposed to have been a place not of evangelism, although evangelism takes place, that is, reaching the lost, but it's actually a place where God's kids come together and remind each other that in a short period of time, God will fix what is wrong. I want to remind you that if you read Revelation, one of the things that Jesus says when he stands up at the throne after uh, all, is being, all the old is gone and the new has come, one of the things that Jesus says is, I am destroying the old order and creating a new order. You see, this world wasn't supposed to last forever. We go to be with God. That's why your body still dies, according to Romans. The reason your body still dies, even when you're a child, not that God hasn't overcome sin, but because your flesh is tainted by sin. You're going to get a new body, a new life, a new hope in God. That's coming. But it's really, really hard for us to forget that even though this is our safe place and the family of God is our safe place and God is our Father, it is really easy for us to forget that we're the freaks, not them. We are the exception. We are the aliens. We are the strangers. They're just trying to figure it out and be happy. And we should know as God's kids that only peace is found through a personal, intimate relationship with God. I'm not saying you don't vote. I'm saying you don't put your hope in the vote. I'm not saying you don't care about morality. I'm saying you don't put your hope in morality. You put Jesus as Lord of your life and you walk with him. <clears throat> like Noah's Ark, Within this safe place, we're protected from the chaos that the evil one seeds and the storms of chaos, that those who have rejected God churn up in their lives in rebellion. But sometimes, and maybe a lot, some of that noise seeps into the church. I refer you again to Facebook among Christians. It seeps in. And this is what had happened in the New Testament to the church of Ephesus. We know this because we have six letters in the New Testament that is written specifically to the church of Ephesus. Only one is titled Ephesians, but you have 1st and 2nd Timothy, you have 1st and 2nd and 3rd John. You have these letters that are actually written to them, but are for us. You also have the historical book of Acts that you can look at. You've got a letter from Jesus in Revelation chapter 2 written directly to the church of Ephesus. And if you spend some time studying... If you read those, not even study them, but just read them, you start, to get a, you start to get a tapestry of what's going on there. The church of Ephesus that Paul sent Timoth, Pastor Timothy to, to lead was a church that was very passionate, even obsessed with doctrine. I mean, they loved doctrine. They loved truth so much that they had false teachers trying to invent a new truth for them. And the church, when they gathered together in times like this, would stand up and argue and, and, and scream at each other. They would fight. I, I want to clear on something. A passion for truth without the fruit of the Spirit makes a person proud, combative, and mean. From all we know, Ephesus had become proud, combative, and mean. And the result was chaos within the safe place that God had, uh, God had, had prepared for the believers. So Paul sends young Pastor Timothy to shepherd this flock back to health. And in last week's study, we saw Paul begin this letter to Pastor Timothy by reminding him of his role as a pastor and teacher. He starts with him. 
And he tells him that this is what you need to do in, in chapter 1, verses 18 through chapter 2, 7. You need, to, uh, you need to hold firm to your faith, Timothy. You need to keep praying for everyone. And he was also told not to violate his conscience instead uh, and choose sin, but run from his flesh because some of the leaders in Ephesus had already done that and he names them. They had already fallen into sin and what he calls shipwrecked their ministry and their faith. From there in chapter 2, verse 8, and this was last week's text, Paul told Pastor Timothy to instruct the men of the church that they needed to stop standing up and fighting with each other and, and, and being angry with each other in church, that they needed to direct others to God through their, through their prayers and their life rather than through their ability to fight theology. It wasn't their role. Stay in their lane. That's what they stayed in their lane, Robert. Robert's telling me I said other things. He's a heretic. Don't listen to Robert. The, the fact is that the, the, the men were out, stepping out of their lane. And then he turns it to women. In verses 9 through 15, it says, uh, Paul tells Pastor Timothy to instruct the women that they needed to quiet down, that they were, being, they were too involving themselves in the theatri- uh, theological wars within this church, and they needed to understand that they, in doing this, were overstepping their authority within this church. This was not their role any more than it was the role of the men in the church. He told Pastor Timothy to tell the ladies that they needed to point people to God through their lives, especially in their own homes, as they disciple their own children. That's what the text says. Ephesus had slipped into chaos, with everybody fighting, it seems. So that's where we pick up our text this week. The very next verse, 1 Timothy 3, verse 1. This is a trustworthy saying. If someone aspires to be an elder, he desires an honorable position. There were no chapter breaks uh, in this letter when Paul wrote this to Timothy. There wasn't a chapter three. Today, when you look at your chapter breaks, you you exhale. Okay, I've read chapter two, and then tomorrow I read chapter three. The fact is, this is a carryover thought from chapter two. What is happening is that the men and women of the church, the flock, was trying to usurp the authority of the elders by taking over this dialogue, this, this, this public theo- theological debate, and it wasn't their role. And he's actually encouraging them. I understand that all of you want to be in leadership. That's fine. It's a good thing. It's an honorable thing. Paul is about to explain who is to defend and protect the doctrine of the church since he just said it was not the role of the general population of men and women within this flock, which had created chaos. He is about to go into the qualifications of those who are to govern God's family on earth. He's about to reintroduce God's order into chaos that they had been introduced into this flock through false teachers and the response of the church to them. Before we embark on this, uh, this and look at this on the qualification of elders and deacons, I want to make something clear, though. And this is something so basic. It is something so simple that most of the time we don't think about it. Ephesus was not about to become Timothy's church. Pastor Timothy did not own the church. Ephesus was not Paul's church, despite the fact that on his missionary journey, he reached them for Christ. The local church doesn't belong to you. When when you grew up in a, a congregational church, and the people said, this is my church, I don't like the pastor, and I'll be here after he leaves. That's not true. It ain't your church. It isn't my church. There's only one senior pastor of every real biblical church. It's Jesus Christ. Look at Colossians 1.18. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. It's his. Well, of course it is. But still, there's no but still. He is the chief shepherd of the flock. Let me tell you something that happened when I got hired at Carpenter's Way. 
I am not the senior pastor of Carpenter's Way. I'm the lead pastor of Carpenter's Way. That means I lead the staff. But let me be clear, I'm not the senior pastor. I don't have that title. Why? Because there's only one senior pastor of this church and his name is Jesus. There should only be one senior pastor of any church. Oh, you're playing with words. I'm not. I'm telling you that we have entered a time, probably forever, where we forget whose church it is. And I would say Ephesus was one of those. The women thought it was their church, so they're fighting for their rights. And the men thought it was their church, so they're fighting for their rights. And the false teachers thought it was their church, so they wanted to enlighten the church with new doctrine. And then you had the, you had the traditionalists that, were, that thought it was their church, so they wanted to stay with tradition. And you've got, you've got the Judaizers who want you to be circumcised. Why? Because everybody forgot it ain't your church. It's God's church, and he hasn't changed. In fact, too many battles within the church today are started and continues because people forget this simple, absolute church, a truth. It isn't our church. It's God's church. Why? Because he purchased it with his blood. That being the fact, it's our job to make sure that we listen to the senior pastor, Jesus, and do what he says, whether we like it or understand it or not. Take a deep breath and think about that. If you just agreed with me that Jesus Christ is the head of the church and it says in Colossians 1 that he is and I can show you 10 other verses, he said he would be. If in fact you agree with that, then then you have to also agree that instead of trying to figure out how we should do things better, we should ask Jesus how he wants things done. Because my opinion, my thought, my feelings are irrelevant because it's not my church. That's like me coming over to your house and deciding you need a new TV because I don't like the one you have. If I push it and push it and push it and tell you I need a credit card so I can go to Best Buy and buy it, at some point you're going to look at me and say, Pastor, we really like you, but it ain't your house and that ain't your TV and honestly, you need to quit telling us what to do. That's how it is in the church. It's God's church. He can do it however he wants or don't pretend that it's God's church. You see, that's part of the problem with the church is we keep forgetting that he's the senior pastor. We're his body. And it should be our passion, make that our obsession to do life with each other his way, not our own. We forget this truth when we think about doc, that when, and, and we start thinking that doctrine is malleable. Truth changes. Or that truth isn't absolute. Or that social issues in time change how we define things like sin and salvation, church leadership, and even what God expects from us. We start acting like we can change how things are done or God's standard through better reasoning or argumentation rather than simply looking to God for what he says through his word about life here and life after life. It's his. This is what happened in Ephesus and it's beginning to happen in a big way now in our culture, in the Bible Belt. We must never forget what Hebrews 13, 8 and 9 says. Jesus Christ, don't don't turn it yet, Bill. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. How many of you have heard that verse before? Wait till you read the next one, very next sentence. Go, Bill. Uh, How many of you actually remembered that was the very next verse? Me neither. When I saw that this week, you get a prize. (laughs) I was going to say something about the Dallas game, but I won't. I didn't remember it either. And I'm reading this, and I'm like, So I love it that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That means he loves me. His love is consistent. His faithfulness to me. Wait a minute. Don't be attracted by strange new ideas. That keeps happening in the church. It's not new today. How we treated people of color in days gone by? Well, that's just how our culture is. So we find verses to define it. 
the view on the church on drinking. I know the Bible doesn't specifically say it, but, but what? We make stuff up so that our culture and our feelings and our morality is actually married into it. And it's happening again right now with gay marriage. Some of the people that you respect are beginning to change. Well, maybe we just don't understand it. You know, when it says homosexuality, it doesn't mean homosexuality. It means, it means monogamous homosexuality is okay, but otherwise it's okay. That's not what it says. Well, maybe the Greeks say something different. I studied Greek. It doesn't say anything different. It doesn't. Gluttony is still a sin. Gossip is a sin, even if you start it with, hey, would you pray for Pastor Mark? He's kind of losing his mind. Or even if you end it with, take a breath, bless his heart. (laughs) It's still gossip. It's still slander. Adultery is still adultery and offensive to God, even if she makes you happy. And before you laugh too much at that, that's the thing that I'm hearing more than anything from both men and women. He makes me happy. Oh, well, for goodness sake, why don't you inject heroin in your brains? You know, we've moved into a time where the latest thing, and you're going to hear this if you haven't already, is I know the Bible's authoritative, but I have the Holy Spirit in me, and I just don't think it means what it says. It's just that's so mean. Whoa, okay. Now we're to free-for-all. You see, the fact is, it doesn't change. Don't entertain new ideas. Why? Because the old ideas were still God's ideas. God doesn't change. And I got a news for you. That's going to be really, really hard on some of you. It's going to be hard on me because I'm a grace guy. I, want, I don't want to get up and preach on homosexuality or adultery. I want to preach on grace. I want you to know that God has already died for your sins and he's begging you to let him forgive your sin. But we can't forget that repentance is involved in that. At some point, you have to acknowledge you're a sinner. Why? Because that's what scripture says. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. It also says, if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from unrighteousness. There's a moment at which you have to realize that you're a sinner. Do you really, really need to admit you're a sinner? Well, what are you being saved from if not? Hell? Well, hell isn't the problem. Hell is a location. The problem is sin. And that's being lost in the church. It is. It's being lost in the evangelical church. Why? Because the discussion of sin, or at least certain kinds of sins, is so icky. I'm not the senior pastor. I can't change it. It's not my job to change it. It's not your job to change it. You're just his kid. It's your job to be obsessed with what he teaches. It's your job to get in the word and know what he teaches. It's your job to walk with him. Well, that's too much work. Then don't pretend to be walking with him. Let me be clear. If you claim to be walking with God but are looking at pornography, you're not walking with God. If you claim to be in fellowship with God and you're committing adultery, you're lying to yourself. They're not the same. You may be his kid and forgiven of that, but you're a bad kid. I hate to say it because people are like, well, he's preaching now. That's that old Baptist preacher in him. It's just biblical. And we are fooling ourselves and it is not loving for us to pretend that God all of a sudden is going, I know, I know that you're sad and you have an eating problem. I, I guess... I guess eating to cover your sadness is okay. At least it's not alcohol. That's not how God does this. It's offensive to God. Why? Because you're not depending on him. I'm not saying that a struggle with food isn't normal or alcohol 
or, or sexual sins. I'm not saying any of that. Some of you are genuinely bent towards same-sex attraction. I get that. And I'm not saying that that will ever go away. I'm simply saying that if you love God more than your flesh, you'll put it aside. If you are single and you are 30 and you have never had sex and you want sex more than anything, hold your ground. Give it 10 years, that desire will spade. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> not for me. <laughs> I'm still... <laughs> Should have gone with Chad to see the Dallas Cowboys. No, I'm serious. I look, look, if you are 18 and that is, that is burning inside of you, what burns more? Be a chosen eunuch. Decide to honor God with your body. If you are 40 and you have a thing for 17-year-old girls, you don't have to go to jail. Just stay away from them. We act like we are slaves to our flesh, and I'm here to tell you, you've been freed from that. And you know what? They can be freed from that. But if we start going, oh, I, I guess, God, you know, I, I know it's hard. I know, yeah, I guess it's not so bad. Yes, it's sin. It doesn't matter what your sin is. It's rebellion against parents. It's a two-year-old baby saying, give me that food now. It's, it's a tantrum. It's sin, and it's all the same. It separates us from God, and he sent Jesus to bring chaos out of chaos order. And we can't start saying, I guess your chaos can kind of bring order. You can't do that. That's like putting a hole in the side of Noah's Ark below water level and going, a little water won't hurt us. It will drown us. And if the world doesn't like it, they don't have to join us. That's the cool choice. And if you don't like it, you can walk away. That's what Jesus said to the disciples. When Peter said the crowd is leaving, Jesus said, you're going to follow? That wasn't very nice. Jesus was kind of a jerk like that. He didn't ask him, oh, I didn't realize that, Peter. Ooh, I didn't know that. He said, are you going to follow? No, why not, Peter? Why not? Because where else am I going to find eternal life? Good for you, then keep following and keep your mouth shut. It's his church. He's the shepherd to the Jews. He was the chief shepherd, chief shepherd to the Gentiles. He's our pastor. Well, I don't like how he pastors. Then go enter chaos. Well, that isn't very loving. I, let me tell you why this is loving. There are spring days every year. It's the weather's perfect, there's no humidity, and you open the window or you sit in the backyard, and you just wish you could go back and be 15 one more time. You ever feel that? I wish I could go back to high school. Gosh, I'd do it different. But I have to know everything I know now. If I could go back just for one day and be 16, do you know why you wish you could do that? I'll tell you because you now know what real life chaos looks like. And at 16, the worst pain in your heart was she didn't like you the way you deserve to be liked. If I could only have that problem, I've got to figure out how to feed my kids and I've got all these worries and on top of it, I have high blood pressure and you've got all these things. It's just, it's just overwhelming at times and I am here to tell you that that's what the church is. The church is where you get to be a kid again. You don't have to understand everything God does. You don't even have to explain your dad away, just like you didn't when you were 16. You just go, I love my dad. He's kind of crazy, but he's my dad. I don't understand everything about Jesus. I don't understand everything about his plan. And I'm frankly tired of theologians trying to explain it away. I have no idea why the Jews in the Old Testament could not eat lobster dipped in butter. That is awesome. <laughs> and the bacon thing? And you will have theologians tell you, well, it's because, and they'll go off and give you some reason. I've got a secret for you. They have no idea either. 
I don't know why circumcision was identifying mark that you were a Jew. I've had people ask me that. I do know who designed it, and that's good enough for me. Men and women, let me be the first to say, I don't like everything God does, but you know what? He never asked me. <laughs> and it is what it is. And we're trying to explain away why God does what he does with the world and how he deals with sin. In fact, let me be truthful with you. That dumb question, why does a loving God send people to hell, that's not loving, is a false question. A loving God doesn't send people to hell. People are going to hell. A loving God made a way so they don't have to go where they should be going. His grace overcomes his justice to anybody who calls on his name. The question isn't, why does God reject gay people? The question is, God, uh, how could God ever allow any of us in? Because he's loving and merciful and gracious, and that's who we worship. When we get to the point, church, that we are no longer sinning and all of us have it all together, then we can start judging the world. Until then, if we could just get our eyes back on Jesus. So, Pastor, what does this have to do with the organization of the church? Everything. Because, again, what you had is you had a gathering of people who claimed to be God's people, and they were arguing over what's true and what's not true, and everybody in the church was a part of it. And God actually designed a group of people to solve that. You see, despite the fact that he is the senior pastor, underneath his authority, he set up leadership in the church. And this chapter tells us what the qualifications for that leadership were. First Timothy 3, 1 to 7. This is a trustworthy saying. If someone aspires to be an elder, he desires to an honorable position. If you want that kind of authority, that's a good thing. That's a good thing for you to want that authority. Here's what an elder has to be. An elder must be a man whose life is above reproach. He must be faithful to his wife, must exercise self-control, live wisely, and have a good reputation. He must enjoy having guests in his home, and he must be able to teach. He must, be a, he must not be a heavy drinker or be violent. He must be gentle, not quarrelsome, and not love money. He must manage his own family well, children who respect and obey him. For if a man cannot manage his own household, how can he take care of God's church? An elder must not be a new believer because he might become proud and the devil would cause him to fall. Also, people outside the church must speak well of him so that he will not be disgraced and fall into the devil's trap. God has chosen to exercise his leadership over the church through a council of elders. That's his decision. According to, according to Tim, uh, Paul to Timothy, that's how God chooses to, give lead, to lead the church. The Christian, uh, this is, um, the word elder, let me, let me go into that. The word elder is not a religious word. It's a Greek word. And it simply means leader, supervisor, or overseer. Within the New Testament, it is used as time as an adjective to describe a person. That, that man is showing leadership. But in this case, and in a couple other cases where it talks about the office of elder, it's used as a noun. The same title, this is kind of interesting, and I learned this this week, I did not know this. The same title, only the Hebrew transliteration of it is used in several times in the Old Testament to refer to the designate or governor that Pharaoh puts over his own household. He's a supervisor of his own house. Paul is saying that the men and women of the church at large need to stay in their lane. Their push to argue doctrine during times of worship was creating chaos, and that is the job of office of an elder. Paul says it's good to want to be an elder, 
but it's not a role just anyone can fill, and it sets out qualifications for this office. I know we just read them, but let's review them one at a time here. In chapter 3, verses 2, it says an elder must be a man whose life is above reproach. To me, in my looking at this this week, this looks to be an umbrella statement. If you want to know the qualification of an elder, that's it. It's not 10, 10 or 12 things. It's one thing. You got to be above reproach. The list underneath are like little, uh, little, like, let me give you examples of what that looks like. They're not, it's not a litmus test that you got to check off. It's actually above reproach. That's the qualification for an elder. But he goes through kind of a list. Uh, a man who's above reproach is faithful to his wife. All right, I'm going to run through a couple things relating to this, and then we'll quickly move through the rest. Whereas verse 2 is not gender specific, verse 3, however, is clearly a man. Not a woman, not a woman and a man, it's a man, because he has to be faithful to his wife, which is also gender specific. I'm telling you this because there's a lot of controversy about this. this uh, it is gender specific with the strong Greek undercurrent of having only one wife. For those of you who grew up Baptist, this meant you couldn't be divorced. That's not what it says. Paul is not shy on talking about divorce other places in the New Testament. He, he talks about divorce clearly in the book of 1 Corinthians in the letter he wrote. Paul isn't talking about a divorced man here to the best of my understanding. What he's talking about here is a man, a man can't lead the church if he has 15 wives. He's too busy with them. He's not slamming you. He's actually saying to lead the church, a man has to be a, a husband of one wife. He'll, he'll have time and energy to give to leadership. But, uh, but the other thing is this. There are two quick thoughts on this. Number one, it is God's design that the main leadership office of the church, that of an elder, the noun, is filled with men. We see this uh, from 1 Timothy 2, 11 to 14, that this divine decision is connected to God, having man made man first, as well as the sin that takes place in the garden. And I know there's a lot of pushback on this in the church today, but it is what it is. It's very clear in Greek. If you have a commentary that tells you otherwise, they're lying to you. Sorry. It just is what it is. We see, uh, we see this. Uh, <clears throat> it's hard for us in our culture today. It wasn't an issue back then because women in the New Testament times weren't even allowed to learn religion. And this was actually an open thing where they're inviting them to learn and to study. Within the Greek, it's clearly a man, both in this text as well as Titus. So it's, uh, so it's not limited only to what's going on in the church of Ephesus. This was a general understanding in the church. Secondly, while every, and you have to pay attention here, I need you to breathe, especially those of you who don't like what I'm saying right now. The office of elder, every elder is a shepherd. But now I'm going to flip it on its back. Not every shepherd is an elder. Every elder is a shepherd, but not every shepherd. Or use your word, remember that this book was not written in English. It was written in Greek, Hebrew, and Aramaic. Therefore, if you want to get to the stuff, you got to get back there. The word pastor, the word shepherd, the word overseer, those are all generic secular words that are used for somebody who shepherds a flock. Teacher, it's all inter synonymous. It kind of works. The words are flipped in and out. And so I, I want to make it clear. Once again, that even though every elder is a shepherd, not every shepherd or pastor or teacher in the New Testament holds the office of, el el uh, of elder. Clearly, an example of that is Priscilla, who participates heavily in Acts in the discipleship and training of, of the spiritual leader, Apollos, and Paul praises her for that. She is clearly a shepherd of that flock, clearly. Let me give you some examples. Beth Moore. 
Anne Graham Lotz, Julie Wilkie, Alicia Bonin, Barbara Haley, Connie Rhodes, Lottie Moon, Johnny Erickson Tata, Amy Carmichael, Elizabeth Elliott, and many of you, you're, you're shepherds of the flock. But that doesn't make you an elder. I want you to do something for me. Okay? We're going to lose decorum here for a second. But if you are a shepherd of this flock, would you please stand? Don't be shy. I'm not setting you up. I'm not going to embarrass you if you are a shepherd. If you teach a Bible study class, both. If you're a shepherd, yeah, if you're a shepherd. If you teach students, if you teach children, if you work in our children's department and hug kids, if you serve in that area, VBS, would you please stand? If you disciple in the church at any level, whether you're opening the word of God or not, if you are directing or guiding, look around you. These are the shepherds of our flock. These are our shepherds. By the way, our elders are not standing. Could you stand, please? These Don't sit down yet. Look around you. There are men and women, younger and older, but let me be clear, while all of them are pastoring, shepherding, hardly any of them are elders. If you're not an elder, will you sit down, please? These are our elders. These are the men who are responsible for the doctrine of the church. They're two different things. You can sit down, guys. Lottie Moon, those of you who are super conservative Baptists, is a chick. Annie Armstrong. Beth Moore. These are women who serve faithfully. Many of our martyrs are women. Well, how can you do that? An elder is supposed to be a male. They're not elders. They're shepherding. We, got, we make a joke. I, actually, this embarrasses Alicia, so, and I've already asked her three times for permission to do this, but let me, let me tell you how silly we get in the church because we're trying to maintain something. Alicia gets lots of letters at Carpenter's Way. Some of them address her as Matron Alicia Bonnet, <laughs> which is a word we all use very often. I mean, think about that. Or shepherd, just so you're clear. If we're going back to the Greek word, she's a pastor. She's just not an elder. Are you breathing? They're different things. I want to also add to this that this isn't parachurch ministry. It's not talking about your marriage. That's a different text. This isn't talking about how we should run a government or who should be a judge and who shouldn't. We're talking about the direction and leadership of the local church whose responsibility is to provide and care for that local flock. That's all we're talking about. One thing, one order of structure. That's how God designed it. Two more things that must be made clear. I've already mentioned the first one. We are only talking about the office of the local church, not parachurch government offices or the role of women in culture. In fact, it isn't even about the role of the Christian home. This is about leadership of the local church. The second thing is the head leader of the church is Jesus Christ. He gets excited. He told Paul to write this. That's why we do it. People ask all the time, why can't women? I think women bring a lot to the table. Take it up with the, the, the senior pastor. Maybe he'll change his mind. But it's, it, it, there are some things in Scripture, friends, that you have to just say, okay. All right. For those of you who are conservative going, 
yeah, I don't necessarily like women can be teachers and stuff, but yeah, you preach. Well, let me tell you, you know what? It should never have been taught in church that drinking is a sin because if the Bible's our final authority, that's bad, bad, bad exegesis. That was read in because of a cultural bent. I don't think it's smart to drink, but to make it a sin is to ignore the Seder meal. There's going to be seven cups of wine, to the best of our knowledge, at the marriage supper of the Lamb, and every one of you will be drinking. And I keep telling you, you Baptists who grew up not drinking, and I'm one of you, you're going to be drunk as a skunk by, by glass number three because <laughs> your liver isn't prepared for what's going to hit you. Well, how can you say that? Jesus Christ was the wine steward at a, at a wedding, and they were drunk. You can go back, the wine steward said, why would you wait to keep the good stuff for now? You know why? Because everybody was a little bit buzzed, and we've all learned from the radio that buzz driving is drunk driving. They were buzzed, and Jesus turned water into wine, and I do not want any emails that tell me this week, well, he might have turned it into wine, but there was no time for it to ferment. <laughs> Could you just think about what we do to bend our point of view at times? And we're all guilty of it from the right to the left. We keep wanting God to believe what we believe. So we don't go to scripture to read out of it. We read into it. And then we end up bringing chaos of the world into here. It's clear. And by the way, where it's not clear, it's not supposed to be clear. The unclearness, if that's a word, of when the rapture is going to take place isn't because God forgot to write that book. And the lack of clarity on exactly how you've got the elect who have free will, that book wasn't forgotten either. God wants us to trust him. And the reason you don't know what college to go to and which exactly man to marry or, or, or if you're going to die of this cancer or you're going to live on and have a heart attack on the way to the doctor, the reason you don't know that is because God doesn't want you to know that. He wants you to trust him through the journey. We keep wanting to be the senior shepherd or not be the senior shepherd, but we want him to move over a little bit on that chair so we can help him. Because life would be so much easier if we were in charge. It would only be that much more screwed up. We are the sheep. We're the sheep. He's the shepherd. And he's asked some of us to lead the flock. And the qualifications of these men, we've already read through. His life needs to be above reproach. He needs to be faithful to his wife, exercise self-control, live wisely, have a good reputation. He must enjoy having guests in his home, be able to teach. He's not a heavy drinker or be violent. He must be gentle, not quarrelsome, and not love money. He must manage his own family well, having children who respect and obey him. For if a man cannot manage his own household, how can he take care of God's church? An elder must not be a new believer because he, he might become proud. <clears throat> and the devil would cause him to, fail, uh, to fall. Uh, also, people outside the church must speak well of him so that he will not be disgraced and fall into the devil's trap. Let me summarize. An elder must be a mature, godly man within the church who knows the Word of God, who lives the Word of God, who's able to teach, and whose reputation is above reproach inside and outside of the church. It's as simple as that. You just have to be near perfect. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm going to have to resign my position. We'll discuss their job description of an elder later. It's not in this text. But he wants them to know, you all want to be a leader? Let me tell you what comes with that. And you know, if you're really paying attention, most of us in this room go, I don't think I want to be looked at that carefully. Wait till you get to the part where an elder is held twice account for his sin. You know what the twice is, in my understanding? Once God, and if you're forgiven, it's good, but twice is the flock. They're staring at you. More on that later. But elder isn't the only position of leadership within the church. There's a second group. They're called deacons 
or the English translation of that is a servant of the flock. 1 Timothy 3, 8 through 13. In the same way, deacons must be well-respected and have integrity. They must not be heavy drinkers and dishonest with money. They must, commit them, uh, they must be committed to the mystery of faith now revealed and must live with a clear conscience. Before they're appointed as deacons, let them be closely examined. If they pass the test, then let them serve as deacons. In the same way, their wives must be respected and not, must not slander others. They must exercise self-control and be faithful in everything they do. A deacon must be faithful to his wife he must manage his children and household well. Those who do well as deacons will be rewarded with respect from others and will have increased confidence in their faith in Christ Jesus. There is really no job description laid out for the office of deacon anywhere in the scriptures. But within the New Testament letters, we start to get an idea of what they do, and their title gives us an idea. This is simply the qualifications. To summarize that, whereas an elder must be a man of strong commitment to the word of God, according to Titus, and be willing to teach according to Titus and Timothy, a deacon does not. The difference between an elder and a deacon is an elder spiritually shepherds the flock while the deacon takes care of the, the physical plant and the missionaries and the widows in the church and those in need so that the elders can maintain their responsibility of praying, ministering to, and overseeing the, shep the shepherding of the flock because it's a big job. You guys are not aware. Let me, let me just tell you something that may surprise you. You are not aware how often in this church, in Carpenter's Way, we have people who want to come up during the worship service and take the pulpit, ask me to sit down so that they can finish my theology. It happens once a year in the last three years. Is that about right? Once a year? And our elders, you don't see them, but during the service, they get a hint that it's about to happen, and they will surround them and take them to the conference room and talk them down, and eventually all of them demand the right to come up and interrupt the church, and they're usually arrested and taken away. Yep, it's not a public place. That's why we'll never have a church sign that says everyone welcome. Only those are welcome, whether they're Christian or unsaved, who are going to follow the guidelines of our church. This is not chaos. We as elders protect you from chaos. And it happens more than you realize. One of the reasons we hired a police officer out back is because our job is to make this as safe as we can. And the fact is, you guys, the fact is that there's people who want to do you harm. There's people who want to do me harm because they don't like the truth. They don't like it. They want to disrupt. They want a hearing. And it's the elder's job to make sure you're safe. Quite a few years ago, somebody came into the church and had some questions about our budget. You'll notice in our annual budget, and I'm going to use this as a side note, I don't think this family, anyway, it doesn't matter, but this was a long, long time ago, and they asked a question. We, we put all of our, <clears throat> we take all of our staff salaries and we put it on one line item in the budget. Well, I often, about every year, somebody will say, hey, can you break that down for me? And here is my answer. I can, but here's the deal. When I break it down and you find out what I make, for instance, you're going to either decide I make too much or not enough. You're not going to think, oh, he's perfectly paid. That's not the nature of people. But the minute you find out what I make or what Alicia makes or what Jeff makes, you're going to think, you're going to have a thought. And the truth is, you're not in a position to do anything about it, but talk to your spouse. And your spouse is going to talk to somebody else. You know, the elder's job is to protect you. The deacon's job is to make tough decisions. I get this question about once a year, and my answer is, um, so that's where we're at, and that's why we don't tell you. Well, I'd like to know, well, you can talk with the finance team. That's the number you get. Vote no on the budget otherwise. And pray that you don't ever have to make that decision. It's really hard to decide what a pastor should make, especially when you love them. You want to overpay them. Or when you don't like them, you want to cut their salary. But as a man or woman of God, you don't get to do either. It's not your church. You see this tr the tension? The tension of the elders is to decide who to talk to. There's nothing wrong with asking theological questions in the church. The question is, are they disrupting the church? You know, in, in uh, 33 years of ministry, 
At every time in, in, in my ministry, there's always been a few homosexuals that come to learn the scriptures. It's no problem. Not a problem. You're welcome. We want you here. I always add to people who ask about that, as long as they don't disrupt. I've got some interesting news for you. In all my years of ministry and the dozens of homosexual couples that have come to hear the word of God, I've never had one homosexual couple ever be distracting because of physical affection shown during worship, but I've had a ton of young people making out during the worship service. It's usually behind you, and I'm a jerk, and so on those Sundays, you'll notice me at the door. It doesn't happen a lot here because the culture doesn't let it. This happened a lot up north. And I moved to the door, and as this couple came, it's so good to have you. You're visiting with us? Yes, we're visiting. It's great. And I'll pull them aside, and I'll say, look, it's really distracting as me as a pastor that you're making out while I'm preaching. You can do that anytime you want, but not here. You know what they say? Who are you to tell me what to do in this church? It's a public forum. No, it's not. I'm the pastor under Jesus Christ, and I'm just simply asking you not to. The last time that happened, the young guy bowed up, you know, if you hit a pastor, it's seven years bad luck. Did you guys know that? <laughs> and I just said, I said, not only that, but if you come back and do it, I'll have you removed by the police. Let me be clear. There's a cop out there for a reason. This is not welcome. Everybody's not welcome. Christians who want to cause problems here, which is most of the people who want to cause problems, are not welcome here. This is a place we grow and learn and are safe. And you know what? It's not fair for the elders to learn to be the FBI and look who to look for. That's why we have a cop out there with a gun. I just can't figure out why they all want to tase me. That makes me uncomfortable. <laughs> but I want you to know that that's the responsibility of the elders and the deacons are there to assist. We have two deacon teams at Carpenter's Way. We have a finance team that oversees the finances so the elders don't have to. You know, uh, we have an elder meeting once a month and one of, you know, one of the things is we have an elder that's on that team. How are the money? The money's fine. Move on. We can get on to praying for people and shepherding. Talk about issues in the church and who we need to pray for, who we need to meet, who we need to encourage. That's what we do. We have a mission investment team that has the horrible job, the horrible job of deciding which missionary who's worth it doesn't get support from our church. That's a horrible job. That's painful because you love them all. Look what they're doing. Look what God is using. And you have to pray because the senior pastor has to direct you. And you know what? Their family that goes to the church doesn't understand why you say no. It's painful, but it's leadership. That's why we have deacons and elders. So you don't have to do that. Just like being 16 again, isn't it? I get to go to church, I get to learn, I get to participate, I get to hug on people. I do want to add something theological though, also in this. Although there's no job description for deacon in the New Testament anywhere, I told you we have a general idea. His or her title is servant of the church, and that is what he or she is to do. I know some of you caught that I just said him or her, and here's why. In 1 Timothy 3.11, if you'll put that verse up there for me, Bill, and I'm rounding third, we're about to get home here. We're about done. It's, uh, it's translated as this in every English version of the Bible. In the same way, their wives must be respected and must not slander others. They must exercise self-control and be faithful in everything they do. All of the English translation translate this as a deacon's wife. That's a bad translation. Um, I don't want you to believe me on this. I want you to look it up in any commentary that does language work. Everyone that has an acrostic, in or an acrostic, that's not the right word, little, that thing. Yeah, asterisk. Everyone will tell you that it's, it, it, it doesn't mean wife. It can be woman who holds an office in the church or deaconess. 
I mean, it's, it's, it's interesting how all of them translate, but again, we have translators reading into Scripture. But the Greek actually infers that it's a woman who's holding an office. It's my humble opinion that that should have been, and I'm not a translator, but as you look at the commentaries and you take it all into, into account, it's my humble opinion that this should have been translated into English as deaconess for two main reasons. Number one, in Romans 16:1, Paul refers to Phoebe, who is a deaconess. It actually calls her a deaconess. The word is there. So Paul, who writes these qualifications, actually endorses a woman deacon. The second reason is there's no such instruction for elders' wives, and I ask why not? If this is really the wife of a deacon, why, why, isn't, there, why isn't there elder wife qualification? That doesn't make sense. And the answer is, as to the office of elder, there are no exceptions to this rule being male, and that limitation is found in multiple locations in the New Testament. I'm going to move on to the end here. So why is Paul writing this to us? Put up there, 1 Timothy 3. I'm writing these things to you now. If you ask the question, usually they hear you asking and they write it in the very next verse. I am writing these things to you now, even though I hope to be with you soon, so that if I am delayed, you will know how people must conduct themselves in the household of God. Please notice that the word household of God is not a word we use in our household. It just means family. We're family. This is our living room. I wish you could fit in mine. I'd preach in pajamas. But this is our living room. This is, this is not Carpenter's Way Church. This is Carpenter's Way Home. You see it on the wall. I want you to drive in the parking lot. I want you to look at the name. The home of Carpenter's Way Church. You're Carpenter's Way Church. We're a local body. You are that body. In about an hour and a half, this building will be empty and it will be an old store. And the church of Carpenter's Way, the body of Christ, whose senior pastor is Jesus Christ, will be all over this community until about 3.30, 3.45 when you'll be here for prayer time. <laughs> I mean, the, you, you get this, right? This is real. It's not religious. It's real. And our senior pastors, our daddy, and redeemed us to put us in this boat. And yes, it leaks. And yes, it's frustrating and, and all that stuff. But there are roles and responsibilities that we have to play in order to fill this up to be the place of peace God designed it to be. Order from chaos. One big old family whose daddy is God. For those of you who are members of Carpenter's Way, this morning's message and last week should not sound new because it's exactly how we're organized. And if you're a member, you went through the membership class that basically outlined this. We have elders who serve for six-year terms. Well, that's not biblical. You're right, but you do not want the same seven people running the church for the next 50 years. So we put them on six-year terms, and after that six-year term, they go into a team called the Shepherding Elders. They pray for people. They minister to people. Our leadial elders make decisions. There are seven of them. You vote for them every year. One term's off, and another comes on. The only permanent elder is me and Jesus Christ. <laughs> Not to put us in the same category. The senior pastor, the, the lead pastor. We have a team of deacons. They take care of the physical stuff. The elder, uh, one of the reasons we don't have multiple deacon teams like we used to is because they weren't doing a lot. So, when we have need of somebody to serve the church in a unique way, we put a deacon, the elders, uh, in the Constitution, it allows them to go out and actually put a team of people together where they serve, and then it dismantles when their service is done. We have male elder leadership. We have many women deacons. And all of you are counted on to serve. That's your role. It's what we do. And now you know why. Order from chaos. We have shepherds and teachers. I had them stand already. And they teach from preschool all the way up through high school into our adult ministries, as they should. But every one of them, men and women, serve underneath the headship of the elder council of this church. 
And they are accountable for what they teach. And I want to say something in our defense. Periodically, you will hear someone say, they're not going to let me teach. That's because we're doing our job. That's not fair. Remember that woman I make fun of all the time who got up in front of church and did the offertory with the saw and then whistled and sung out of tune? We lie to each other all the time. She should never have done the offertory. It was distracting and lousy. Funny, yes. For those of you who haven't heard that story, we were in a church when we were younger, and it was, you know, the offertory, and some of you are going, I love the saw. It just doesn't fit. And then she whistled. I was crying. I was laughing so hard. That was not the spirit in which it was supposed to be done. And after the service, she wasn't even good at it. Everybody told her how good she was. Just so you know, that's still lying. People should serve in their lane, right? People should serve in their lane. And there are some people that should not be teaching and some people that should not be singing. Fortunately, Chad has put the right people on stage. But you're going to hear at times when somebody isn't allowed to do what they want to do. That's how it works in the family. That's how it works. And we do it so you don't have to. But you're mean. You don't know that. You were just told that by somebody whose feelings got hurt. You don't know what the conversation was. That's why every year when we start nominating elders and deacons, you better pray. Seek the senior pastor as to who you should nominate. And those lists, there is a vast list, go into the elders and we take, we take weeks as it's going on, the names come in, we give it to the elders and we pray. And then when that list comes in, we've got usually 15 or 20 for one or two slots and we pray over that list and we go through. And you know what the qualification is for most of those who get through to the final discussion of who's going to be an elder? They're already eldering. They can't help themselves but minister to people. They're already doing it, and it has nothing to do with age. And you know who get the job as deacons? The person who doesn't want it but will be good at it. <laughs> deacons have a tendency to run for the hills. <laughs> Does this make sense? Yeah, please say yes so I can finish. Thank you. That was good because the game starts in three hours. <laughs> Guys, listen. I know you're like, man, you're preaching all this stuff. That's because you need to know how we got to where we are and why we are because I'm telling you, out there, the winds of change are coming. It's coming. And I, I think this quote I had of Beth Moore last week, and I can't quote it verbatim, but I put it on our Facebook page, was right on. We are at a time now, it's going to continue when people are going to say that they're more like Jesus because they're ignoring the word of God. When we exchange love for truth, we're not, we are neither loving nor truthful. God's word lays out things, and I may not like all of them, but he's the senior pastor. And he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. If you hear something new, later in this book, Paul's going to say, don't listen to it, even if I'm the one telling you. Run from it. If an angel from heaven comes down and tells you they've got a new knowledge, run from it. We may be the smallest church in this community in five years, but we will stay centered on God's word as long as I'm here. That's the one thing I'll leave over today. You start demanding we stop using God's word, I have nothing for my family here. It's God's word. He is our senior pastor. Let's close in prayer. Father, thank you for this word. Uh, God, sometimes it rubs us wrong, but where else is there eternal life? Thank you for even when we have that attitude not giving up on us. And we pray, Lord Jesus, 
we pray that you would guide and direct. You would help us to understand your word within its context and that we would glorify you, Father, through our lives and our ministry. I pray for Carpenter's Way, this local church this morning, and I pray that you would make us a safe place where Jesus Christ is the senior pastor. In your name we pray, amen. Bible study will start in about eight minutes.